Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, quarantined in D.C., and today my guest is Travis Akers. Um, he's written for Newsweek and BuzzFeed. I know he does a lot of work with veterans and veterans' rights. One of his tweets caught my attention. I actually read it on Monday's show, and it's about the fact that his ex is not taking COVID seriously, and they have a child, and so... You know, he's dealing with the fact that he lives in Florida and his child may have to go back to school because his ex just thinks that it's like, you know, overblown and inflated. So we're going to have a really juicy conversation about that. Um, We do talk about some other things, but I figured that because that tweet kind of surprised me, I hadn't even considered that. And I thought there must be so many parents out there who have that same issue. So I really wanted to have someone come and talk uh, about that. So before we get into the show, I, r- I want to say something that um, I probably will start crying. I might not because I'm on the show now. I have a microphone in front of me, so it's a little harder to cry, though, although I have cried here before. <laughs> but it's not sad. It's actually tears of joy. Um, yesterday, I found out that Joe Biden has um, put the Equal Rights Amendment onto his platform, his campaign platform. And... While that's not entirely surprising, considering everything that's going on, um, it just kind of, you know, blew my mind because, um, as I've said on this show more than once, in I believe, what was 2017, I was in a group with some people to get this guy, uh, Renato Mariotti. Uh, he He was running, I say this guy, he's a former federal prosecutor and he was running to be the attorney general and he had asked me and a number of other people to help him out with his campaign and to amplify his tweets and Alyssa Milano was in that group. So long story short, for those who don't know it, I've been an ERA advocate for uh, since 2012, which isn't that long of a time. I know there are people who have just been in it forever since it started in the 70s, since the push to ratify it started in the 70s. Um, But for me, I discovered in 2012 that it had not been codified into the Constitution, and I immediately decided that that it was going to be a mission of mine. And so, again, the long story short is while I was in this DM room with Renato and Alyssa, I, I asked Renato if he was familiar with the ERA and that in Illinois at the time, there was a real push in the legislature to get it passed. So I was kind of half hoping that Alyssa was going to see that, and she did. And then she said, what is this about? And I gave her a quick, you know, just like a paragraph. And I said, if you're interested, I can, you know, off, off this DM room, I can send you some more information. And she said, I'm going to make this my new mission. And I can't even tell you how excited I was because for so long, I was hoping to find somebody like Alyssa. I had done open letters to Oprah. Uh, I was for- trying to force democratic lawmakers into supporting it i was hope i was just desperately hoping to find that one person with a huge platform who didn't just want to tweet about it once but really wanted to dive in and you know i had i had i can't say that i had given up on it but my attention was just taken away trump had been elected and you know i mean during this time uh, i'm sorry uh, nevada had ratified in 2017 in 2018 when i Uh, or I should say, and then uh, Illinois did ratify in 2018, but in 2017, there was a push in Illinois to get it ratified. And that's why I was uh, talking to Renato about it, but I was, you know, secretly hoping Alyssa would see it. And so, you know, as 
I was just so thrilled because she 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 did make it a mission. Not only did she really quick, she was such a quick study and understood um, all of the talking points, the important talking points to overcome the naysayers, which there were many liberals, by the way, telling me that it would never pass, and I did not listen to them. But she, you know, she not only became very well versed in in the po- the important points of the ERA, she aligned herself with people like Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney and Feminist Majority and ERA Coalition. And she found the people she needed to to find. And she she was able to get stuff done because Jerry Nadler and Carolyn Maloney did a shadow hearing in 2018 because they weren't able to get an actual hearing. And I attended that. And, and it was, you know, I, I met her there and she gave an amazing talk. It wasn't really a speech, but she she was really instrumental in helping build national, helping people understand the importance of the ERA and, and understanding that it was even there. People didn't even know that it hadn't been passed into the, con- ratified, I'm sorry, into the Constitution already. So, you know, I mean, I had assumed in 2012 when I was first told about it by Kamala Lopez, the woman who made the documentary Equal Means Equal. Same thing happened with me when she told me about it. I'm like, I'm going to make this my mission. And I did. But I know 2013, 14-ish, 15, specifically 13 and 14, I will say that I was probably the person with the largest platform posting about the ERA. I was not the only person, but I was fortunate because I was working with Sam Wardy on Liberals Unite, and he had all these pages, that all these political pages that are now gone because Facebook took them away from us. Um, fucking Facebook. But anyway... I, would, I was also friendly with the guy who runs Being Liberal, and that's a huge page, over a million people. And so when we, we would like we would create these memes that were educational and eye-catching, and we would post them on We Are Woman, and then the man from Being Liberal would share them on Being Liberal. And then I was able to share it on all of Sam's pages. So And it wasn't just our own memes. It was memes from other people or information from other people or articles. So I don't want to sound as if I'm taking all the credit, but I know at one point... I was the one who had the biggest platform in which to spread this information. And I think that the what that did was it kept it, it wasn't in the national conversation, they weren't talking about it on MSNBC or anything like that, but it was still out there and there were people that were being educated about it that didn't know about it otherwise. And so, you know, kind of died off for a while and then Trump gets elected and then there starts to become a motivation for... Um, you know, for, for people, for legislators to take it seriously. And they did. And thankfully Nevada passed it. And then in 2018, Illinois passed it. And then in this year, after we had our 2018 midterm elections, uh, we, (laughs) oh my God, Virginia turned blue and they passed it. And that, that was the last and final state needed in order to get it into the constitution. Now, of course, we have a, a deadline that has been expired and all Congress needs to do is remove or once again extend that deadline. It's not controversial, but the right wants to make it controversial. It really isn't. The deadline has already been extended, so it can be extended again. Or Congress just can vote to remove it altogether. There, I, I think there might have been one amendment in the history that had a deadline on it, but I'm not sure about that, so don't quote me on that. But pretty much, no. there, there was an amendment written over 200 years ago about congressional pay. And it just, it, it, it passed, I think, in the 90s. Um, so it was like over 200 years or whatever the deal was. And I, I can't remember, I can't remember what number, 27th Amendment, I don't remember. But um, there was no deadline attached to that one. 
There was only a deadline attached to the one to the amendment that has to do with gender equality, which basically benefits women more than anybody. So, and just in case you don't know this, the the hearing that was had, the real hearing, not the shadow hearing that I spoke of, the real hearing that happened in 2018 addressed the rights of gay people and trans women and men and the fact that it doesn't matter what gender you are because the text of the ERA says on account of sex. So with gender, you got it all covered and it is down. It's, it's in the books now. So that means if there is a, you know, if there is a problem, once it's codified and enshrined into the constitution, once there is a problem that's going to come up legally, maybe a trans woman is being discriminated against. They can go back and look at this 2018 hearing and go, yes, the ERA does protect trans women. So there's not going to be a question about it. Um, and I'm not crying, so this is good. But, but I understand that my now probably I'll start crying because while I was working on the ERA really fiercely, you know, like putting a lot of my energy into it, I was living with my mom. And this is what makes me want to cry. I was living with my mom and I wasn't, I wasn't really making any money and I was really scared because, you know, I had left my life as a salesperson and I took this risk in, in becoming an author and becoming a blogger and then becoming an activist and all this stuff and I knew, I knew, I knew I had to do this. I was so motivated but I was freaking out because it was like I, I felt like I'm in my 40s and I'm not taking care of my retirement and I'm working so hard, you know, try, try to educate people about this and it's, you know, I'm not making any money off of it which it's not that I, I wasn't trying to make money off of it but I wasn't making any money. And, you know, and, and I wasn't, it's such a long story about getting a real job because at that point when I was, I had interviewed for jobs, but my big mouth was basically anybody who interviewed me said, oh, I saw that you're an author or I saw that you write about politics online and I never could get, a, you know, anybody calling me back for any kind of, I didn't want a, a traditional type job, but I, I needed money and I was unable to get a traditional job, especially when I lived in Northern California, which is a little bit more sexist uh, than when I lived in Southern California and what I like to do, the kinds of things that I like to do. It was just, you know, outside sales specifically, it was, it was difficult. So anyway, um, I remember all those months sitting in my room, living with my mom and <laughs> you know, going after Democratic senators and, and forcing them and kind of bullying them into supporting and feeling like I wasn't going to get anywhere and liberals telling me that, I oh, that's really cute and sweet that you're trying to do this, but it's never going to happen. Um, and I just didn't listen to them. And so, as I said, I didn't give up on the ERA, but I was kind of sidetracked for a while, but I was able to introduce it to Alyssa Milano. And Alyssa Milano, although, you know, she's just like everybody else. She's a piece of, as Alice Paul said, we're all pieces of a mosaic that get this done. She was a big, huge chunk of it that was, she was able to get more exposure to the issue and, and bring the attention. Uh, she was able to get it to, so much that five Republican men voted for it in Virginia. And I'm so grateful, and I'm telling the story, and I know it's a little long intro today, but I'm telling the story because it matters when you, when you post good things. It matters if you post a meme with good information. If that's all you've ever done is shared an ERA article or posted a meme, you've been part of this. It matters. 
you, we're seeing results from this, and it's incredible. And I, you know, I mean, it brings me to tears because I wanted it to happen so badly, and we're not there yet. But Joe Biden has made it part of his platform in part because I introduced Alyssa Milano to uh, to it, and she has his ear. She has had him on her podcast. I know that they are friendly, and he listens to her, and so. I'm just like beside myself with joy. I, I don't want to give myself more credit than I deserve, but I do believe I deserve credit. Just like, like I said, anybody else who has put effort into this, male, female, whatever you are, if you have shared information, first of all, thank you. And second of all, it made a difference. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm so emotional about this because I do this for my sister and I do this for the, the generations that are coming after me. And as much as I may benefit from not having to deal with freaking gender discrimination, I'm kind of out of the loop now. I'm not, I'm not going to have babies and I'm the job that I have right now that I would love to do for as long as possible doesn't require me having to answer to a boss. I have to answer to you, but I don't have to answer to a person who's going to discriminate against me. If, if you're going to discriminate against me, then I'm just going to block you. I'm just so grateful. And I, I really wanted to put that out there because I'm, I'm over the moon. So we got to get a blue Congress in because I think once we get that blue Congress, it's a done deal. We extend that, extend that deadline. It goes into law. There's going to be a fight for it, but we can do this. Thank you again to everybody who has worked for this. And quickly, before I get into the whole podcast stuff, I'm just going to tell you, (laughs) I'm going to say Mooney, my friend Mooney told me that you watch out for mites when you have a nest a little finch nest or a bird's nest. And I just noticed today on the outside of our door, there are mites. And I'm like, oh, great. So I, I, I cleaned all of that off and I read about it and they're not too dangerous, but it's so gross. And I found them today. So Mooney, thank you for telling me about that because I, I took action immediately. All right. So Start Me Up is an independent podcast and it's supported by listeners and it's woman run. And I'm not going to discriminate against myself. <laughs> I don't have corporate backers and I don't use ads. So it's patrons who keep the show going. I have to do my own promotion. Nobody else is going to do it for me. So I would really love if you like the show today, which was a good show with Travis, please take a look at the about page and check out some of my past guests. I've interviewed all kinds of people from actors to political pundits to authors. We talk about a variety of things on the show, although activism and politics are the main issue. But what you can do is, like I said, you go to the main page of the show, you can see all the tiers. You can choose a tier or you can choose a dollar amount. So like, let's just say you click on the $2 tier. You can see at the top of that tier, you can change the amount to whatever you want. So you don't have to just do what the tiers tell you. And also the way that Patreon is designed, you it just shows you the first three tiers and then it set, and then there's a little drop down that you can see more. So I do have more than three tiers, but the, the dollar amount is completely up to you. And two times a month, I do a patrons only show. So that's only for people who have signed up. So it works like this. If you pay $5 a month or more, you will have access to both patrons only shows. If you sign up for $4 or less per month right now, you get one of those shows. And if you're signing up for, uh, it's, it's whatever you sign up for, $4 or less and then $5 or more, you're going to get all the free shows delivered straight to your email box. But if it's $5 or more, you get 
the free shows delivered to your email box, as well as both patrons-only shows. And $4 or under is going to be one patrons-only show delivered to your mailbox as well as the two free shows that I do per week. If you just want to say, well, I'm not sure, so sign up for $2. And then if you really, really like the show, you can always upgrade. Also, I always include my email address in the description of the show. So if you want to do a one-time donation on PayPal, you're free to do that. Just like I said, visit patreon.com slash start me up. You'll find all the information. You can read about the show. You'll find the tiers. And you can also find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just want to say that I have been getting more ratings and more reviews, and you guys are freaking awesome, and I really need more. I've got like 106 now ratings, and I have, I don't know, 23 or 24 reviews. I do need more reviews, though, because as I, as I still, you know, I go off on Twitter and criticize certain people those certain people like to come and give me bad reviews so I don't want that I need good reviews to counter the bad reviews right now I have one I got one kicked off so again you can go to you go to iTunes and you go to Apple Podcasts and then you could just subscribe it's free and then give me a rating if you like the show and especially give me a review I'm so grateful for them you don't even know oh my god and it's exciting every time that I look and I check and there's a new one I get all happy so thank you thank you thank you thank you okay I have talked and talked and talked and talked so please now enjoy my fascinating conversation with Travis Akers welcome to the show Travis hi Kimberly thanks for having me on today well thanks for being on the show I, I you know one of your tweets caught my attention but before we get into that uh, and the crazy times we're in why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, well, I, Travis Akers. Um, I think that most people probably are familiar with me from uh, Twitter, uh, having built somewhat of a portfolio on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also a gun reform activist and a veterans activist uh, working to ensure that the, the rights and benefits that veterans have earned are protected through uh, legislation and uh, co-founded a group called Left of Bang. Uh, we are a group of veterans uh, who advocate on Capitol Hill on behalf of veterans and also for gun reform legislation. Very cool. That's awesome. Are you from the East Coast? I am. I, I can, was born I in Virginia, <laughs> ah. raised in South Carolina, and live in the Sunshine State, uh, Florida. Wow. Uh, I can hear your, your uh, accent. It's very, like, it's subtle. But I, I, I'm from Maryland originally. Mm-hmm. I lived in California most of my life, but I'm back in Maryland now. But yeah, I can, I can hear just a little smidge. Boy, living in Florida must be difficult uh, with the COVID thing. That must be scary. You know, it's, it's quite challenging. Um, the governor here uh, probably prematurely declared yeah. victory over the pandemic. And of course, fast forward a couple of months and here we are, uh, the epicenter of the pandemic. And we're facing mm-hmm. uh, tens of thousands of new cases every week. Uh, yesterday, the state of Florida set a single-day record for COVID-related deaths. And it is, you're absolutely correct, it is scary uh, being here in Florida right now. Wow. Oh, my God. You know, well, basically, you're. I've been following you on Twitter. I'm aware of you because of Twitter. We follow each other and, you know, I always like your tweets, um, but one of your tweets really caught my attention. And I actually read this on the Monday show, but I'm going to read it again. So you say, co-parenting during a global pandemic. Imagine having an ex-spouse who believes COVID-19 is propaganda, that it's not that bad and that deaths are inflated. Now imagine they have primary custody and get the ultimate say in your child going back to school. That's where I am. Now, um, okay, 
the fact that you live in Florida and you're uh, so I, I'm assuming your ex also lives in Florida. Yes, Ugh. she is also in Jacksonville where I am. That's just I mean, you know, frankly, I I think I'm with Bob Seska. I don't know if you're from, you know, if you know who he is or or whatever. But I mean, we're a couple and we live together. And I think out of like everyone, we're probably the most fortunate because I mean, and I mean groups of people because we both work from home. We're both natural homebodies. So COVID hasn't what it has interrupted is, you know, we, we don't get to see our parents the way we would like to. But we don't have children. We don't have to worry about that. Uh, we have each other. We're not alone in this. Like, you know, my mom lives alone and it just kills me. But I ne- it never even occurred to me, you know, because I don't have an ex with, you know, a, that I have a child with. So your tweet kind of blew my mind. I feel a little naive about that. But, you know, duh, of course, there's so many people in this country who are dealing with spouses who are not taking this pandemic seriously. And so, I mean, how are you dealing with that? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. And one of the reasons I wanted to uh, tweet that out was to kind of illuminate that this situation exists. And it hasn't really been discussed in the media or on social media. And it is a unique situation. It's kind of for a niche audience. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, I believe based off of the feedback I've received that it's not as unique as I thought. Mm -hmm. And I have seen many other, uh, parents, whether they're single parents or they're co-parenting, um, who are in the same situation and it's both frightening and frustrating at the same time. And I'm fortunate that, um, you know, go back in time, uh, you know, 14 years, uh, when our divorce was finalized and the child custody situation was finalized, we split custody, Mm -hmm. but in Florida, uh, there has to be a primary residential parent. Mm -hmm. And while we both have a hypothetic or theoretically a 50, 50 say in, um, healthcare for our children and decisions about education and whatnot, Ultimately, the final decision rests with the parent with primary residential Mm -hmm. status. Yeah. Um, So my my ex-wife does have that final say, and she knows uh, I've made it very clear um, what my thoughts are. Mm -hmm. And that is that we should not be placing children in schools in the middle of a global pandemic where we are still seeing exponential spread, especially here in Florida and other hotspots like Texas and California and Arizona, our children deserve so much better than that right now. They should not be guinea pigs and we should not be testing herd humanity on our children. And then you factor in that with the staff and the teachers who are now going to be exposed yeah. as well, carrying that back to their families. Yes. And now we just have super spreaders <sighs> um, in our communities. And it's just so frightening that that's the case, but it's also fr- uh, so frustrating because now it's really limiting the time that I get to spend with my teenage son, mm-hmm. who is in his most formative years right now, Um, and who I should be spending every moment Mm -hmm. I can with, but because I also have, you know, my own family at home with a, with a young child, it's just something that I cannot, cannot risk exposing my family as well. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, the science is there, the facts are there. Mm -hmm. And for people to still deny that this is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And here we are six months later and we still have people who say this is a hoax or it's inflated or it's not that bad. We have nearly 160,000 Americans who are dead now because of this. To me, that is that bad. That is certainly not a hoax. So stop me if I'm too personal, but uh, is your ex-wife a Trump supporter? She is. Um, Her entire family are are red hats, as I call them. Um, So big, big Fox News and OANN viewers. Oh, my Uh, God. You know, we we are friends on social media and I see her posting and and my ex-in-laws posting from Breitbart consistently and Newsmax. And it's it's almost embarrassing, um, you know, to see that people believe this way. But it's it's a fact. And, you know, 38 percent of Americans still Mm -hmm. have these views and thoughts and beliefs, no matter how errant they are. Wow. So, I mean, do you believe that at some point there, you know, before it's time to reopen, do you believe that Florida will come around and say, okay, we're not? I mean, I know in Maryland, uh, we just got notice that the schools are not going to be reopening. And they say that, you know, they're leaving it up to January. I imagine they're not going to open in January because nothing is going to be done. And I think that, you know, I mean, maybe we're, I have a feeling that we're going to go on another shelter in place because I, I believe medical professionals have sent a letter to our governor who's Republican. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's Larry Hogan. He's okay. He's not great. He's, he's okay. But, um, you know, he, he, he made the right decision initially. And then of course he started opening up and, and now we're seeing, you know, we were, we, our cases were going down and uh, they're starting to go back up again. So medical professionals are like, Hey, you know, I think we need to go back to that phase. Uh, I think we're in phase two. So we, we either need to go back to phase one or, or shelter in place again. Um, so, and, and so I know that there is some push and obviously, even though Hogan is a Republican, he is working in a Democratic state and he wants to please. I mean, he's not really he, he, he doesn't get another term, so he doesn't necessarily have to please the Democrats. And I know he's mm-hmm. running in 2024. He's never even he's never going to get the nomination. But like he just basically said he could be convinced uh, to vote for Trump. And I think that's I think he's just being political um, so he can kind of reach out to the deplorable deplorable base and um <laughs> You know, and, and kind of make them feel like, oh, okay, well, he might he might vote for Trump, and I think he's full of shit. I don't think he's going to do mm-hmm. that. But um, I think you know, I think that there's a good chance that we will go into shelter in place, and our schools are not going to open. So, like, I mean, you've it's DeSantis. You you're dealing with DeSantis, right? Is that the guy? We are. Yeah. Yes. So yes. Governor you, Ron DeSantis. So, do you think that uh, there's any chance that the schools are going to stay closed, or do you think they are going to open? Well, you know, we're in phase two here in Florida as well. Mm-hmm. And initially the push was for the schools to reopen on August 10th. Hmm. Um, that's a week and a half away oh from my now. God, and yeah. the secretary of education here was also making that push. We have to open the schools. We have to get our kids back in. And what I have seen over the past two weeks or so is Governor DeSantis kind of walking that back. Um, I think whether okay. it's the fact that he has – 
lost a lot of support mm-hmm. in recent polling where he went from being the third most popular governor in the entire country to now being one of the least two popular governors in the country. And I think that polling has really had an impact uh, and effect mm-hmm. on him distancing himself from his original statements that we've got to get kids back in school. Yeah. And he's still making that push that we have to get back in. But what we're seeing now is him kind of pushing that responsibility off to the localities and municipalities where the school districts are now making those decisions. And the specific school district that I'm in just voted last week to delay reopening 10 days. Good. Okay. Uh, So I don't know what 10 days is going to do and what effect that will have. But, you know, at least that thought is there. And I know in southern Florida around Miami-Dade and um, the counties there, they're pushing back even further uh, past Labor Day. And, you know, one thing that we were really considering here in northeast Florida in Jacksonville was the RNC was going to be held here in just three and a half weeks. Yeah. And that was a major concern for the superintendent of the district and for the citizens here. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that was going to look like and how much that was going to impact the spread, where at one point just in the last month, Jacksonville was the quickest spreading community mm-hmm. in the entire country. Oh and now we were going to have these thousands coming in from all around the country who a majority do not wear masks, a majority do not social distance, and a lot of those uh, folks that were going to be here were kind of on the hoax bandwagon. And so that was a major concern with schools reopening as well. And before the RNC was canceled, uh, there was a lot of discussion of delaying our reopening until after Labor Day, hmm. um, until after after everyone had left town. So whether or not the schools will continue to push to the right on the linear calendar, Mm -hmm. that's yet to be determined and seen. But I know it is certainly um, being discussed, debated, and a lot of school districts are are just making the decisions on their own because they don't have clear guidance from Tallahassee. The guidance out of Washington, D.C. is certainly not in alignment with the CDC recommendations and Dr. Fauci. So the districts are really just taking it on their own Mm -hmm. to find ways to protect the teachers, the administrators, and our students as well. Wow. So um, is your son, your teenage son, um, does does he feel the same way your ex feels? Like, I mean, is he taking precautions? I mean, he's just following what his parent, you know, his mom is doing. So he being in the, that form of age, He really is um, somewhat mimicking uh, his mother's behavior and my ex-in-law's behavior. And I don't know whether it's the, uh, you know, him being naive Mm -hmm. at that age and not really being informed on the scientific facts or if it's just rebellion. But he's, you know, he's somewhat the anti-mask and, oh, it's not a big deal. Um, I think recently in the past week, he's kind of been woken to Hmm. the fact that, yes, this is a real, real issue. He plays baseball and a member of the baseball league he plays in tested positive. Mm -hmm. And just in the last 24 hours, um, the league he plays in has been completely shut down. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, And I think that really kind of caught him off guard. And he also uh, was going to be playing high school uh, baseball this year. And there's a fall league he was going to play in with his high school. And now a high school member has tested positive. 
so that has been completely shut down. And I, I believe that because of his interest and passion of baseball, that happening here locally and what's happening in the major leagues with the Miami Marlins mm -hmm. with 19 members of that team testing positive now, I think he's starting to see, okay, yeah. maybe my mom is not exactly right. Maybe <laughs> Fox News is, is not exactly yeah. right. So hopefully he's seeing that now with these tangible cases right. and realizing that, you know, this is real and I need to take precautions. Do you, and, do, oh, go ahead, Kimberly. Do you get to talk to him about this? I do. So, um, you know, with our specific agreement, he is with me on Wednesdays and on every other weekend. Um, so we do discuss this and um, I kind of, with a captive audience, force him to watch uh, more reliable and credible news sources. Mm -hmm. Or if we're in the car uh, listening to more reliable sources mm -hmm. like NPR. Um, so he's at least exposed to it and hearing um, yeah. real medical professionals, real public health professionals and um, scientists. So the ones who have facts and who are not, um, you know, politicizing a right. virus, which just boggles my mind that here we are and we have a virus that is politicized. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> so mean, he's, yeah. he's being exposed to the truth. And I do have those conversations with him. I make him wear a mask. We have a mask mandate in Jacksonville. It's not enforced, okay. but right. we have one. And of course, I make him wear one and wash hands frequently. Mm -hmm. um, so at least when he's under my care, um, I know that those protocols are being followed. Wow. And that, I mean, that's so difficult because, I mean, obviously, when you're dealing with an adult who refuses to accept reality, you know, it's it's kind of easy to point and mock and, or to be angry. But when you're dealing with a child, especially your child, who uh -huh. is, you know, is getting information that is inaccurate from a, from a parent, um, that's really upsetting. I can't even imagine how upsetting that would be. I mean, I know that my niece is... Um, She's six years old and, you know, she is, she needs socialization. She needs school like everybody else. Everybody needs to go to school. I mean, school is extremely important for a number of reasons, but, you know, socialization is a big, big deal. And, you know, fortunately, fortunately, Maryland isn't going to allow that to happen, but her parents wouldn't either. So, um, you know, and I worry about her for, for a number of reasons, but, um, you know, I know that she's being taken care of and I know that she's being given the truth. So I really feel for you and I feel for all the parents out there who have to deal with this. I mean, do you have advice uh, to give? Because I like like you were saying, um, it's not everybody, but I, th I imagine there's a lot of parents out there who are going through this and it must be agonizing. I mean, it must be just yes. it's like torture. It, you know, it really is, um, because as a parent, your first instinct is always to protect mm -hmm. your child and to prioritize their safety above all. And when you have another parent who does not have that same set of values, it can create conflict, yeah. um, which can become quite abrasive. Yeah. Um, fortunately, my ex-wife and I, we do have an overall good relationship. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, not to segue or you know get off track too much, my wife and her get together on Mother's Day every year and go to lunch. Oh, so we cool. do have yeah. a good relationship. Right. Um, there are times that we um, don't agree in certain parenting matters, and that's going to be the case of – parents, whether they yeah. are together or not, you're right. always going to have those type of conflicts. 
but for co-parenting um, and people who are in situations similar to mine, if I can offer advice, it is to communicate um, mm-hmm. and to discuss these issues. Don't uh, discuss it with your child. These are conversations that should be had between the adults mm-hmm. uh, because you don't really want to talk bad about the other person mm-hmm. in front of your child. You don't want to discredit their authority or take away their ability to be an effective parent. Um, but if you continue that open communication with one another, it will reduce conflict mm-hmm. Because you are really not building up resentments towards right, each other. Yeah. Uh, it's going to help reduce any type of verbal confrontation that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, in this case, no matter you know how many times we have this conversation and no matter how many times I express my views and philosophy and opinions – um, you know, for the other person, the other party, those aren't facts to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so all I can do is just continue to say, this is what I believe. Mm-hmm. And when my son is with me, uh, of course, you know, I can exercise those beliefs mm-hmm. and protect him. Uh, but for other parents, just communicate, uh, don't hold it in and mm-hmm. be very transparent with each other be forward. Don't hold back in your opinions. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to make sure that they're expressed um, as authentically as possible. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I I, I think there might be some hope as far as your son recognizing this is real and it's, it's hitting home, you know, to, to the things that he loves uh, baseball specifically. And, you know, I mean, I imagine as time goes on because, you know, I, I just feel like what's going to happen is everything is just going to get so much worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. And if Trump does absolutely nothing about it, then we're just going to have to wait until there's either a vaccine or Joe Biden or both, or you know what I mean? And so, um, I, you know, and it's not to say that I think Joe Biden is some savior, but I think that he'll make the right decisions. And I would, I mean, basically I've said this before, but I think we need, we need a national lockdown. You know, we just, we need to pretend it's, we just heard it's the first, you know, we have good leadership, strong leadership. This is the first we've heard of it and this is what we do. And then they just basically have to go look at what New Zealand did or, you know, what other countries have done to uh, flatten that curve. And, yeah, and then absolutely. Do it you know, I look at New Zealand and the prime minister, she's just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a phenomenal leader, uh, very compassionate, but very forward leaning. Yeah. And, you know, there was some viral post uh, in the last three or four days yeah. showing the New Zealanders out and about, yeah. out in restaurants, out in bars. And it's because they took it seriously. Mm-hmm. There was these nationwide mandates and initiatives that were put into place that expedited the decline of cases and now look at them. And then you look at other places, um, you know, around the world who have done the same thing. Um, and here they are back to a regular life, yeah. uh, back to normalcy. And you just have to ask yourself and wonder if we were to go back in time, uh, back in February, <laughs> yeah. when these reports were coming out and being provided to our nation's leaders, what would have happened if we implemented aggressive procedures and put them in place. If we had followed the playbook that was left behind by the previous administration, where would we be now? Mm -hmm. I would venture to say and hypothesize that baseball stadiums would be full of fans, Mm -hmm. that 
Sunday fun day brunches would be happening on the beaches up and down the coast and that life would have resumed normalcy and we wouldn't have the fears of putting our children back into schools in the next 14 days. Yeah, I agree. I mean, life would have been normal. I I will say this, and it's not to say that I'm happy at all (laughs) that we're in the position we're in, but I do think that if that would have happened, Trump would have been a freaking hero, and there's Mm -hmm. a really good shot that he could be reelected. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I mean, I guess I'm not glad at all. (laughs) This is awful for me. You know, it's like, you know, like I said, I have an optimum situation in that I don't really have to, I don't have to drive to work and all that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and deal with other workers and getting sick that way. But my mom is, you know, in her seventies and she lives alone and that freaks me out and she needs a new hip. And so she's in pain all the time. And, you know, being alone and in pain is, is can cause depression and Mm -hmm. it really freaks me out. And, you know, I mean, I moved, uh, basically from California, uh, to be closer. My mom had moved out here. She moved me out to California in 77 when I was nine. And then she moved back here in 2017. And uh, Bob Seska and I were both living in Northern California where she had been living. And I asked him, I said, cause he's from Virginia too. And I said, mm-hmm. um, do you ever think about, you know, moving back East? And he said, yeah. And I was really grateful because I, you know, I want to be close to my mom as she's getting older, just in case she needs me. Naturally. So, um, you know, and then my father lives back here too. So since 1977, I haven't really lived. I mean, with the exception of once I lived in Russia with him because he was, he's a camera, he was a cameraman for ABC news. So I lived with him in Russia, but outside of that, you know, coming here for summers and stuff up until I was, I think 18, I was here for two months. And then when I turned 18, I was like for two weeks because I, I wanted to get back and be with my friends and all that. So, you know, right. I, just, I didn't have that time with him. And now I, I'm able to go see my parents and I can't. But um, I mean, I see them, but I don't get to hug them. I don't get to spend the real time. And I'm I'm concerned that this holiday season, you know, my mom is going to be alone. And the thing is, is she's taking this seriously and she doesn't want to be in a vulnerable position. So um, I think I, you know, I mean, I, I can't say that I'm glad that Trump has destroyed everything, but I think that this is kind of the nail in the coffin for him. Um, you know, we were all, I don't, I mean, I can speak for myself, you know, I was terrified that he would get reelected and, and I'm not saying we're out of the woods because we absolutely don't know what's going to happen. We know that he's going to fight everything and he's going to cheat and he's going to do what he can. But I think as far as public opinion, he's lost you know, he's just he has lost the support of of the people he needed because he's always going to keep the support of the crazy, deplorable base. Um, but outside of that, you know, I think that he is and he's peeling some of them. Some of them are peeling off. You know, some women, suburban women are, are like, OK, no. Um, you know, some of these people who voted for him um, and also voted for Barack Obama, I think he's lost them. So, I, you know, I, I think that this did kind of seal his fate providing we have a somewhat fair election. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. If we would have taken care of this from the start, we would have been living a normal life right now and it wouldn't be like this. And it's just, it's so upsetting, you know? I mean, I just, and, and again, I'm going to just go back to the fact that you've got a, a situation that I hadn't even considered with, you know, raising um, a, a child with someone who doesn't believe that it's a real danger. And yeah, I mean, that would just keep me up at night with worry. I would be so worried. Um, but it seems like you're handling it really well. And hopefully, you know, hopefully your son is waking up, like you said, to the reality of it. And maybe he will start taking it a little bit more seriously. 
but it's just really kind of it's really scary and um i i feel for you i really do <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think you know it, we we just discussed what today would look like had the necessary precautions and policies put in place several months ago you know we're we're still at a place where we can still you know impact and expedite yeah. the the decrease in spread if we were to have a national mask mandate yeah this would end dramatically faster than it's going to as we wait for a vaccine to come mm -hmm. potentially in the next eight months to a year. Yeah. And I don't think, you know, a lot of leadership on the right side of the aisle, they're not connecting the dots. No. If they want to fully reopen the economy and if they want small businesses to survive, they have to understand that in order for that to happen, this virus has to go away. And the virus will not go away until we are all 100 percent all in on board with wearing our masks, mm -hmm. social distancing, washing our hands. All of these basic things that we have had hammered into our head for the last six months that people are still just not doing. And there's no forcing mechanism in place mm -hmm. right now yeah. to ensure that these protocols and procedures are being followed. And it's just cyclical. Mm -hmm. I mean, without masks. We have a poor economy. If you want to get our economy back on track, <laughs> yeah. if you want job growth to be on the positive and you want small businesses to survive without the intervention of the triple P loans in Congress, then we have to follow the science. We have to follow the facts. We have to listen to the medical and public health professionals and wear a freaking mask. It's such <laughs> an easy, selfless thing to yeah. do. It's yeah. just it boggles my mind that people think that this is such a hard demand on their I know, life I know. and it's it's just crazy wear a freaking mask and we can beat this thing yeah well i mean i went out i just got uh i ordered actually from amazon i ordered those glasses that you wear you know when you're doing construction so that kind of protects yeah. the side and i feel so much safer when i go i mean i only go to the grocery store you know occasionally i might have to visit a pharmacy or you know another you know whatever it is that i but basically it's grocery store and so um that's it that's where i go and i just got my glasses last week and and i go on saturdays and wednesdays so after the show today i'm gonna go but it's like i can't even tell you how much safer I feel. And I think that's, I think that's really good with just uh, overall, um, when, when you feel safer, I think it helps your overall mental state. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I've been going up and down with, with fear or, you know, being calm and trying to stay calm. And, you know, I mean, somebody from my family did die from this. She was my father's cousin. So I was not close mm -hmm. to her. That doesn't make it any less sad. It's just, um, you know, interestingly though, like she got it and it was terrible. It ravaged her lungs. It was awful. It was a terrible case of COVID. Her brother then got it after she died and he was okay. So, um, you know, I mean, he had it. It, it, I guess it was a mild case, which, you know, mild cases aren't really mild. It's mild for COVID. But, uh, you know, he was hospitalized and fortunately he, you know, he's okay and he's doing well. But, you know, it, it's, it's hitting family and I've had some friends who have had it. Fortunately, they, you know, like I, they, they lived and they're okay so far. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen down the line for people who have had it and, and then they don't have it anymore. I'm, I'm hoping that it doesn't, you know, have residual effects years and years later. I know that 
I, you know, that it, it can do some permanent damage to your lungs. And I, I just, I mm-hmm. guess it just depends on what symptoms you had while you were experiencing it. But I don't know because it's, it's still very new and we're, we're learning about it. But, you know, we just learned today that Louis Gohmert doesn't wear a mask and he was just diagnosed with COVID. And yeah, if, and if, that's, you know, uh, it's, it's a national security crisis yes. at that point because now you have a member of Congress who has been directly in contact with people that are in the line of succession, Yeah, you know, with the attorney general who has, you know, is now being tested and his Mm -hmm. aides are being tested. And it just blows my mind that he returns to the Capitol after failing the screening, returns to the Capitol to inform his staff in person (laughs) that he has tested positive. That's insane. He is crazy, like literal crazy. I mean, we say that about, I say that about people all the time, but I think like he literally is, he's a crazy man. And I just, (laughs) I just feel like, oh my God. And it's so, it's so shocking to witness what we're going through because of course, not only are we going through COVID, we're going through this whole uh, stormtrooper situation. But interestingly, I'm just, I want your thoughts on this. Um, Evidently, Trump is withdrawing some of these stormtrooper federal troops. I mean, I'm just going to call them stormtroopers. Um, I guess he's withdrawing them in Portland. And let me see. It says, uh, let me find it. Okay, so Oregon Governor Kate Brown says, after my discussions with Pence and others, the federal government has agreed to withdraw federal troops or officers from Portland. They have acted as an occupying force and brought violence. Starting tomorrow, all customs and border protection and ICE officers will leave downtown Portland. So there's that. And then there's also uh, U.S. agents deployed to Seattle to protect federal property have left the city after local officials complained their presence was escalating tension, Seattle mayor said. So now here's my opinion. And I actually spoke with Terry Canefield last week and she said that she, and she's an author and she likes to break down a lot of stuff Trump does if you're not aware of her. But anyway, so she said that she didn't believe that these, uh, you know, these troops that were occupying the blue cities was going to work for him. And that what he'll wind up doing is, you know, when his poll numbers don't go up uh, or providing they don't go up, which they haven't, he's going to change strategy. So that's pretty much what I think is happening. I mean, I'm grateful that he you know that these troops are are leaving but now it's like now what now what's Mm -hmm. he gonna do Mm -hmm. yeah so you know it's it's funny uh my brother lives in seattle and his apartment is actually in the chop chaz and he witnessed a lot of this firsthand and he provided a lot of videos some of which was featured on cnn Hmm. Um, and then also another great friend of mine uh navi jamali who uh, writes for newsweek he's been on the show uh, yeah, he's he's been uh, publishing a lot of great material on what he has observed, both in person and from eyewitness accounts there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I caution in this response because, I, you know, I do work for the Department of Defense. So I want to ensure that, uh, you know, this opinion is my own and does okay. not necessarily <laughs> reflect that of the DOD. So let me get that <laughs> disclaimer out there. Um, but I, I certainly believe that there has been an overreach in authority Um, in many of these situations. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing peaceful demonstrations that turn violent because of instigation. Right. Now, whether that's from, um, you know, the federal authorities and the federal police and local police, or whether that's from, um, 
you know, folks who are just instigating, yeah. uh, like we've saw in Richmond last week mm-hmm. where there were actual white supremacists mm-hmm. who were instigating uh, under the disguise of, of being anti-fascist. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in so many of the protests uh, that have turned violent is it wasn't the protesters. It right. wasn't Black Lives Matter uh, protesters who were starting this. It was instigators from mm-hmm. the outside, yeah. uh, mostly a lot of white nationalists and white supremacists. Yeah. Um, but the presence of these law enforcement officials has certainly not helped uh, to de-escalate any no. tensions. Uh, quite the opposite effect yeah. has been observed and seen. Um, and I'm glad to see um, that federal uh, police officers and law enforcement are being removed from Oregon and those areas. I saw that the agreement was that as long as federal property is protected, mm-hmm. then they don't need to be present. Right. Well, you know, the federal property was being protected. Things did not begin to get damaged mm-hmm. until the law enforcement showed up in mass and began you know, for all intents and purposes, kidnapping protesters yes. off the streets. Yeah. And, you know, if there is a warrant, then they do have that prerogative to pick up members of the public who have violated any type of uh, laws or have committed crimes. But the problem I have here is the optics of mm-hmm. adults wearing military uniforms mm-hmm. with military grade weaponry taking people off the streets in unmarked rental vehicles. And that's what we see in countries that are led by authoritarians um, who are not protecting the rights of individuals, but suppressing the, you know, our here in America, our first amendment right to express our freedom of speech. Now, like I said, if crimes were being committed, if there was criminal activity, if warrants existed, then yes, a person should be arrested. However, this can't be done by a paramilitary who is not identifying themselves, who's not providing any type of badge, and who's putting folks in unmarked vans. It looked like a scene out of a movie. Yeah. Um, And it was quite disturbing to see. Yeah. It, it really it's it's like I mean, I used to live in Soviet Russia. I mean, I certainly didn't see this kind of behavior because by the time I lived there, um, everybody was doing what they should and, and obeying, you know, the, the author, authoritarian government. Um, right. So there there was no protesting there. was, But, you know, I was aware that if anybody dared to say anything or protest that, you know, they would just go missing. You know, and and I understood that it was very, very clear. I was 12 years old. And, you know, of course, things were explained to me uh, when I moved over there. And then we talked about things in school. But still, you could feel it when you were walking on the streets of Russia. It was it was a pretty safe place to be because it was a police state. And there were literally policemen on every single street corner watching you. um, Mm -hmm. And you could feel their eyes on you. It was just kind of freakish. But Um, but yeah, so it was, it was incredibly disturbing to see it happen here in America. And, you know, and I'll just, I'll leave it with this, that when I, when Trump won, um, I remember, or I should say this, when, when we really understood that Vladimir Putin had a, a real part to play in Trump's installment, um, I was, I was so scared because I, I feel like, 
you know, I, I, I have that understanding of a Soviet mindset, and I know how, how deeply he wanted to penetrate our government, and I think that, you know, he has these conversations with Trump, and then things happen, you know, <laughs> so it's yeah. like... Uh, I, and we you know, know from, from Vladimir Putin's history, you know, a KGB agent mm-hmm. raised under the USSR mm-hmm. who was indoctrinated uh, to absolutely hate the United States, mm-hmm. that we are their their eternal enemy. Yeah. Uh, so anything that Putin can install yeah. or initiate to sow division in the United States or weaken um, our center of gravity here, which is our, our populace, um, he's going to take advantage and exploit. And, you know, we're, we're continuing to see that now. There is now... Um, actively happening, uh, happening as you and I speak, Kimberly, you know, uh, advances in trying to disrupt mm-hmm. this uh, this election coming yeah. up yeah. Um, with with online agents, with misinformation. Yeah. And it's going to continue. And he is just absolutely salivating right now at the yeah. images coming across, uh, whether it's on RT or Sputnik. Mm-hmm. You know, he absolutely loves seeing what's happening in our major cities across yeah. America right now. It's just really, really upsetting. But I think we do, I mean, to end this on a happier, more promising uh, note, I do think that, you know, the people have decided at this point that it, no more. They're sick and tired of him lying. Um, you know, again, we're never going to get his his uh, solid base, but we don't need them as long as we can get everybody else or most everybody else to the polls. We have to, we have to do this because the win has to be, like a flood, it's got to be a tsunami so that, you know, when he does try to contest it, it's just too big. It's too many people saying, no, you are fired. You're fired. We've got to do this. So, um, but I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you uh, for coming on the show and talking about this personal matter. Uh, I really appreciate it because, like I said, it was something that I hadn't even considered. So, uh, you know, you talking about it so candidly, I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I, I enjoy you so much on Twitter. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Absolutely. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on today. I'm really glad we got to have this yeah. discussion. And, and for the people out there in a the similar situation, just know that you are not alone. And as we talked about earlier, mental health has been, um, you know, such a central yeah. uh, discussion topic during this whole uh, pandemic because there's isolation, but we don't have to be socially isolated and we could be there for each other. Yeah. Um, and I love talking about that in our mental health. And so you can find me having those discussions most frequently on Twitter. And my handle is at Travis Akers, A-K-E-R-S. Um, I'm quasi-active on Instagram, not as much. <laughs> Travis J. Akers on Instagram. But, um, yeah, so at Travis Akers on Twitter, um, give me a follow. And we talk about all kinds of things there, whether it's mental health, politics, uh, you know, my sobriety journey, all types of things. But I would love to have you on there. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That, I mean, and I'm going to invite you back at some point. There's so many things we can talk about. So um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for being on the show today. And I will thank put, you so much. I will put all of your info in the text of the Patreon description. Just want to say that. Okay. So thanks for being on the show and you take care. Absolutely. Stay safe and you take care as well. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, talking to him was, I think, a a good thing because I can only imagine how many parents out there have to deal with a similar situation. I just can't even imagine. And the thing is, is that I have a tendency to, I mean, I'm so, um, what's the word, rigid, I guess. (laughs) I'm very rigid. I'm very cautious about COVID. And so if I had a child that my ex 
had primary custody of or, you know, the primary residence thing, even if it's 50 50, I would I don't know how I would be able to handle it without completely freaking out. I, I, I feel like I would just lose my mind. So um, he sounds so together and he sounds so like measured and calm about it. And I guess he's you know, he's making a healthy choice because uh, he you know, he's that's it. He can either become a crazy, like losing his mind, like I think I would do, or he could say, all right, I need to maintain. And so he's clearly maintaining. But that would be so torturous. It would just be so torturous. So I thought that was a really fascinating conversation. Um, As I said in the opener, stuff's going to be here tomorrow, so we're going to have a lot to talk about. And I really think that's it. And, you know, I realized the last time I was on, I forgot to say that you can buy my books (laughs) on Amazon. Peyton's Choice, that's a book about teen abortion. And there's also The Virgin Diaries, uh, many stories of people who had first-time sex and what it it felt like emotionally more than than physically, because we all know the physical end of it for the most part, but the emotional aspects of, of having sex for the first time. And also American Woman, The Pole Dance. And I just want to remind you that my mother's book, The Melt, uh, that's still out. (laughs) She released it last month. And uh, she needs people to read it and to review it. I would really love for her book to be like a number one bestseller on Amazon. So if you have read it and you like it, I ask that you give it a, a review and that you maybe tell your friends about it. That would be super duper cool. And of course, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. And that's Kimberly Johnson on Amazon, where you can find my books. And that's going to be it for today. We're going to talk to Steph tomorrow. And then uh, I guess next week, it'll just be a, a normal week. What's that? Is next week? Oh, my God. I think. Oh, my God. Next week, Joe's going to announce his VP. I can't wait. I just, I swear to God, of course I have my favorite and my preference, which all of you know, and I'm not even going to say because I've said it a million times, but I don't care because I do think though it's between um, Harris and Warren. Obviously he could throw a curveball and hit us with a curveball and it would be something we didn't necessarily expect, but I'm just going to be so happy because it's going to be a woman. And if it's a woman of color, I will be happy. If it's Elizabeth Warren, I'm going to be happy. I'm just going to be happy no matter who it is. So we have something to look forward to next week. Stay safe, everyone. And I will see you later.